You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Father, we make this confession that we just sang, that you would indeed fill our vision, fill our eyes with a picture of you. Overwhelm us with a reminder of not just your glory, but your grandeur, your majesty. And as we come to your word, would you give us hearts to receive as well as minds to comprehend? We love you. Would you continue to cause our hearts to worship you and give you praise this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Let me grab my notes here. It's good to be with you today. Thank you, uh, guys, for leading us in song today. Um, Today is uh, the 3rd of July, uh, July 4th weekend, so uh, all around our, in our thinking and in our, in our vision is the concept of freedom as Americans, and, and I celebrate that in our founding documents as a, as a country, we codify the right to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I believe is the proper way to say that phrase, right? However, what I always remind myself of, and hopefully can remind others of, is that when it comes to civil holidays like this, it is that any good that we experience is a shadow or extension of the goodness of God, right? So, so any ability to love that we have is, is because we are loved first in God. So any freedom that we have in this life or in this country, which is worth celebrating, by the way, is a shadow or a taste of the more significant freedom we have in Christ Jesus. So not to minimize the, the civil part of the weekend, but to maximize the God-glorifying part. That freedom from the tyranny of man, yes and amen. But freedom from the tyranny of sin and Satan and hell, a thousand amens. That's my preamble to the sermon today that has nothing to do with Psalm 29. I just wanted to give that to you this morning. So rant over. As we gather uh, uh, together to worship, um, we're in Psalm 29. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 29. Uh, if you have them, if you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up. Some folks are coming around. They'd be happy to get you on to follow along. Um, we also have some, <clears throat> I don't know if we have any up here. There's still some of these little journals in the back um, with the Psalm sticker on them. If you'd like some notes to follow along with this summer. They are also at the Connection Desk. You're welcome to have one. Psalm 29 is where we're at today. And you'll see it when we read uh, this psalm here in a minute. But this psalm, in the words of one commentary, pure praise. There's no confession. There's no real requests. No historical examples of, of obedience or anything like that in this psalm. Just worship. Now, we need to be careful as we read a psalm like this, as we read the psalms in general, not to miss the the beauty of the poetry that is here in Psalm 29. 
more than that, every, every commentary I've looked at, everyone who's made notes on Psalm 29 that I was able to read over the last couple of weeks has remarked that this psalm borrows language from Canaanite poetry, which is interesting. Mostly used in the worship of the false god Baal. He was a false idol and a false god of the wilderness, sometimes tied to fertility, was referred to as a god of thunder. Uh, Lowercase g, lowercase t. Okay? And David, in an act, I think, of kind of defiance, says, you say all these things about Baal, who's majestic, apparently, to you. But it isn't Baal who's all-powerful, David says. It's Yahweh who's all-powerful. It's not Baal who's actually majestic. It's Yahweh who's majestic. So the Hebrew people living in the land of Canaan would have heard the familiar poetry as they listened or read or sung Psalm 29 to the culture around them. And instead, being used for false worship was being remade to point to the true and living God. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of that background, the context for this particular psalm, and we'll get into that later. So if Psalm 28, as Marty preached last week, if Psalm 28 was a psalm of dependent prayer, Psalm 29 is a psalm of defiant praise. So let's have that in our minds a little bit as we read our psalm this morning. Psalm 29, we'll look at it together. We'll read the whole thing, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, Psalm 29. A psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is God's holy word for us this morning. May we have ears to hear. Amen? Now, let me ask this question, although we did just get a bout of rain, this wasn't exactly what you'd call a thunderstorm. How many in the room enjoy a good thunderstorm? Like, you, you literally enjoy a good thunderstorm. Okay, hands down. How many in the, in the room are not big fans of thunderstorms? Right? Fewer hands, but still nonetheless, still represented, Right? Now, in the past couple of weeks, if you live around here, we've had a few storms roll in that have shown themselves to be fairly intense. Lots of downed tree branches in my neighborhood. About two weeks ago, we were at a soccer game down in South Fargo where there are no trees, and we could see the clouds. That was a, that was a shot. 
at another neighborhood, that we could see the clouds rolling in like mid-game, right? And they got to halftime and everyone got their, you know, granola bar and drink of water. And they started the second half of the soccer game. And like two minutes in, and the other coach comes over and says, that's it. There's lightning in the sky. And within a minute or two of him calling the game and everyone packing up their stuff, 50 mile an hour winds that were very cold just came like whipping up. They're blowing chairs and garbage cans across this treeless field. And it was, it, it's almost like it came out of nowhere, right? So we, we get in the car and it's pouring rain and we are driving back to our house on 94, going like 40 miles an hour because it's pouring rain and we can't see anything. It happened so fast. It was kind of crazy. Maybe you remember this. And even since then, over the last couple weeks, we've had some pretty interesting, good, strong thunderstorms that have come up kind of quick and hit pretty hard. This last Wednesday night, we had some rain. Where on one side of the house, it sounded nice and peaceful, a pitter-patter of little raindrops on the window. And then the other side of the house, it was like it was coming in at 90 degrees at the windows. Right? Now, for those of us who love a good thunderstorm, one of the things we love, I think, is their power. Right? We are in awe of how quickly they move how much rain that they can just dump in a short amount of time. It is literally awesome. We're going, wow, to this. Or the wind that can blow over trees that have been standing for decades. We are amazed by their power. But also, the thing we tend to hate about storms, especially those of us who aren't big fans, is also their power. They're unpredictable. I mean, we can try to predict them. God bless meteorologists, right? They do their best. But what they'll do exactly, what a storm will actually do, we don't know exactly. We can guess a range of possible rainfall. We can guess at a range of possible wind speeds. We have apps on our phones and our watches now that'll say rain will begin in 15 minutes. And you're like, okay, cool. Right? We get warnings and watches for tornadoes and what might possibly happen. But we're not really sure until it actually happens and we measure it and then we find out after how much rain did fall. How fast was that wind, right? Psalm 29 is a psalm or a song for a storm. Specifically, Psalm 29 is a defiant song. Storms in real life or storms metaphorically in our lives threaten us. They threaten our comfort. They threaten our sense of safety. They threaten our lives sometimes. And while the psalm doesn't ask questions directly, it seems to be an answer to God's people for this question. What do we do in the midst of a storm? And the answer from Psalm 29 seems to be this. We praise God who rules over the storm. It infers the question, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of storms? And Psalm 29, offering an answer to the unasked question is, we praise God who is ruler and Lord over the storm. So if Psalm 29 is a song, which Psalms are, then we're going to look at it in three stanzas. Three verses to our defiant song this morning. Verse 1, we praise Him for He is glorious. Verse 2 of our defiant praise song, we praise Him for He is powerful. In verse 3, we praise Him, for He is your strength 
and your peace. We praise Him for He is glorious. We praise Him for He is powerful. We praise Him for He is your strength and your peace. First, let's look at the, uh, the first part of this psalm. Praise Him for He is glorious. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 29. Ascribe. Ascribe glory. Ascribe glory, he repeats himself, and worship in the splendor of holiness. These are command statements. They're declarations. And they're directed at, as the ESV says, heavenly beings. Some translations say heavenly hosts. Essentially, the psalm opens with a call to the cosmos to say, listen up. Listen. Ascribe. To ascribe. It's a word we don't use very often. To ascribe something is to give or offer. Right? Almost sometimes has the the connotation of like saying, come on, let's go. So, So the psalm kind of starts like this. Come on, cosmos. Give to the Lord and only the Lord. We'll get to his name here in a second. Glory and strength. Give to him glory due his name. Now, it's not saying he doesn't have glory or strength and we need to give him some of ours. It's not what it means. We're acknowledging God for his power already, for his glory already, for his strength already. So even the angels or other spiritual beings must acknowledge God's supreme power. In the midst of the place where Israel was living, It was a shot across the bow to anyone else or any other religion or worship or small g God to say there's one and he's not you. He's him. It's the Lord. Verse 2. Acknowledge the glory that is due God's name. Owed to him. God's personal name. Yahweh. Shows up 18 times in these 11 verses. Clearly, the name of God is significant here. And in verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory that His name deserves. In the end of verse 2, Worship Him in the splendor, similar word to glory, in the splendor of holiness. Holiness meaning set apart. Essentially, worshiping the Lord clean and clothed in the holiness of God's own glory. So in the midst of conflict and storm, the first response of the psalm is to praise God for how beautiful and glorious He is. When the first crack of thunder hits or the rain just starts to pour down from the sky, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Right? If you're outside, you rush to cover your head or rush to find shelter. If you have kids with you, hopefully you grab one of them at least and take them with you. Or if you're inside and the rain starts, maybe you go around and, what, check the windows to make sure that you're not going to have a wet couch somewhere. Right? What's the first reaction when you get hit with the lightning bolt of an email you were not expecting to receive? Or when the doctor comes in and says, I have some troubling results. Or when the mechanic says, well, here's what we found. Right? Or something else. What's your first reaction when the storm starts? Is your thought worship? 
I confess, in the midst of hard things, any kind of personal storm, my first reaction is not always, God, you are glorious and I worship you. I, I, I hope it would be that more often. Sometimes I wish it were, but often it's not. And this is where Psalm 29 starts. A song of defiant praise. Standing in the field as the storm begins, with arms lifted to the sky, saying, God, how glorious you are. There is none like you. I worship you. It's a sense of surrender. In the midst of the storm, we praise God for He is glorious. That's the first verse of this defiant psalm. Here's the second verse. Praising God for He is powerful. This takes us verse 3 through verse 9. Seven times in these verses... David speaks of the voice of the Lord as a catalyst to display God's power. Liz mentioned it earlier. The voice of the Lord. Now, God's voice is a pretty significant biblical theme. You do a word study on that whole, that phrase, the voice of the Lord. And we don't have time for that today, but let me just frame it like this. It is by God's voice that all creation came into existence. Genesis chapter 1. God, using His voice, spoke through the Logos of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, in order to create all things that exist. John 1 reminds us. And it's by His voice, through the living Word, that is Jesus Christ, that the Lord sustains all things, and in Him all things, all things hold together. Colossians chapter 1. By His voice, He created all things. By His voice, He sustains all things. So God's power is on display here in these seven verses as His voice is at work. Listen as we unpack these. Uh, Verse 3, look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord, David writes, is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Two times Yahweh is used. Anytime you see in your English translations... L-O-R-D, all capital, it's more than likely in your translation, they've taken the Hebrew word for Yahweh and translated it as L-O-R-D with the capital letters. So when you read that in your English translations, more often than not, what you're reading is Yahweh. The voice of Yahweh is over the waters. The God of glory thunders Yahweh over many waters. Now, water and storms are images in the Old Testament of judgment and danger. Very often. The sea was a dangerous place. So the voice of the Lord over the waters is a picture of His supreme authority and power over all things. Verse 4, there's two of them here. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Straightforward, David gives it to us. By the way, the voice of the Lord is powerful. If you weren't sure, I'm just going to straight up tell you, powerful. I love it when it's simple. And full of majesty. Now, majesty is not a word we use very often. I think we should uh, make a concerted effort to reinsert majesty into the general vernacular. Impressive splendor. So the caution here, and that's why I think he's just so obvious about it, power and majestic, or power and majesty, 
is to make sure that we don't minimize power or majesty of God. We've got to make it real clear that we don't minimize the power or majesty of God. I don't know if any of you are from North Dakota. How many of you grew up in North Dakota as a whole? So you remember generally 2007, maybe? In 2007, a big storm uh, went through, uh, well, up near Northwood, North Dakota. In fact, it was actually a convergence of multiple storms that kind of met together and decided, I got an idea, let's have fun. And so these two storms met, these two storm fronts, and produced uh, EF3 and EF4 tornadoes near Northwood, North Dakota, just north and a little west of here. The EF4 tornado track was about 550 yards wide when it landed near the airport, southwest of town. And it would grow to between 1,400 and 1,500 yards wide. That's nearly a mile as it gained intensity, as it passed through the town. And it was on the ground for about five miles. 18 people were injured. One person was killed. Large debris was thrown for miles. Some debris was found in Minnesota, some 50 miles away. In a town of 950 people, 431 out of 460 homes were affected by the tornado in some way. Some completely destroyed. Some just lost windows. 57 homes were completely destroyed. And all in all, it was estimated that there was between 60 and $62 million of damage done in 2007. With inflation, I have no idea what that number would be today. Right? Now, by God's grace and a solid community of people, Northwood has recovered well, and we're thankful for that. But at the time, there was a Grand Forks County Sheriff, I found a news clipping, who said this about the extent of the damage. Quote, it just floored me. End quote. He could almost not comprehend what he was looking at. The county sheriff and the residents of Northwood, North Dakota, came face to face with the awful, awful power of a storm. One could argue, came face to face with the awful power of God. To be floored, to be in awe. That's the picture that David paints here. One of overwhelming and speechless awe and majesty. Now, we might not use the word majestic for a tornado, maybe. But for a storm that's rolling off in the distance, it is a terrifying and beautiful thing to see, isn't it? If we're honest. I mean, this is why people chase tornadoes. Well, one... They might not be all right in the head. But part of what they're chasing is the power and the beauty. And David said, that's just a a sliver of what God is actually like. A reverent wow, a proper fear and respect for its power and its beauty. The voice of the Lord, David says, is powerful and majestic. Let's continue. Verses 5 and 6. The voice of the Lord... David continues, breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Now, if we keep the imagery of a storm, the storm is now moving away from the sea and it's passing over the mountains and the forests of Lebanon. History tells us Lebanon was 
renowned for its dense forests of cedar trees. The strength of its mountains and its forests is nothing, the psalmist says, compared to the power of God. Syrian is a, is a name for a mountain range containing Mount Hermon, which is in modern-day Lebanon, the place where scholars think may have been the place where Jesus was transfigured on the mountain with his disciples. So, uh, pastor and professor uh, Daniel Aiken says it this way, the great mountains with their magnificent cedars are twigs, <laughs> and small animals are for entertainment in the presence of of the Lord. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Yes, that is a lot of alliteration with the letter F. Flash, flashes forth flames of fire. This is an allusion to lightning, more than likely. Fire in the sky. A flash of electric flame across the sky that in an instant takes an empty, dark night and lights it up like it's midday. And it moves at such speed that the sound of the crack has to catch up to the flash of the light. The voice of the Lord, David says, is seen in the flash of lightning and heard in the crack of thunder and marveled at in the rush of wind that topples cedars. Verses 8 and 9. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. The visuals here are striking. Now, Kadesh is a region to the, a region to the south of um, what would we know, know as Jerusalem. The, the region of Kadesh is uh, primarily where God's people encamped when they were in the wilderness, not going into the promised land, but wandering, not trusting God through Moses to bring them into the land of Canaan, they remained outside. Kadesh is the region where Moses strikes the rock and water comes out as God provides for his people even when they're not trusting him. It's the place just outside of the land God had promised to his people. So Jews singing this hymn, God's people singing this song as part of their corporate worship would immediately have images of God's people wandering in the wilderness. Yes, God provided for them, but they were left just outside of God's promised land. They would continue to suffer at the hands of the Canaanites while wandering in the wilderness. And so David's saying, no longer will God's people wander. All this is to show that God is powerful and sovereign even over the wilderness. It may seem wild and unruly to us, but it is not to God. From the forests and the deserts all the way to the deer giving birth in the middle of nowhere, the Lord is sovereign and in control of it all. That's the picture that's being painted here in these verses about the power and majesty of the voice of the Lord. Are you following this poetic theme here in Psalm 29? Over and over and over again, the reminder that God is powerful and majestic and awesome. And what can we say or do in response to this display of power? The end of verse 9 tells us, And all in his temple all cry, Glory. Praise God, for he is all-powerful. Glory. 
to him. In the midst of the storm, are we able to stand in awe of God for his power and his beauty? Verse 1 of our song, praise him for his glorious. Verse 2 of our song, praise him for his powerful. And finally, verse 3 of our song is this, praise him for he is our strength and our peace. This is the shortest verse, if you will, in our song. Maybe it's more of a bridge than a verse. Just made a music joke. In case anyone cares. The shortest verse. But I hope that, that like any good song, this is the verse that gets stuck in your head all day. This is the part I hope you cannot shake. Verse 11 of Psalm 29 is the only part of this psalm that could come across like a prayer. Verse 11, he says, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And verse 10 literally reads, Yahweh on the flood sits. And sits Yahweh king forever. Sitting on the throne as king. We started with his voice and his power over the waters. And we close here with God sitting enthroned. Literally on his throne. Over the flood. And images of flood for us. Maybe we think back to 2007 or 2001 where the Red River floods. But they would not have thought of a flood quite so, no offense to the loss of life and property. They would have thought of a flood not quite so wimpy as ours. Immediately they would have gone back to the flood. They would have had images of Noah and God's judgment on the earth. See, here in Psalm 29 and in Genesis 6, where we talk about the flood, are the two places where this flood imagery is used. And so the picture here is one of a throne situated above a storm that is pouring down rain on flooding the earth. And while everything is raging below, enthroned above in unshakable strength and power and beauty and majesty is the Lord on his throne, king forever. So in light of the king sitting on his throne, now verse 11 is less of a request to God and more of a promise of God. If God is indeed enthroned over the flood, over creation, over the storms, then verse 11 is something we can hang on to. It's a promise. In Genesis 6, when God brought destruction on the earth with the flood, what did he do? He promised to preserve Noah and his family. He hid them and carried them in a boat, protected them from the judgment of the wicked. And when it was all done, he hung a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his promise that he would not flood the earth again. The God who displays that kind of sovereign power and strength can provide for his people all the strength that they might need in any situation. That's the promise here in Psalm 29. And the God who sovereignly rules and reigns over all things is surely capable to comfort and carry us as well. So peace, the Hebrew word shalom, wholeness, completeness in all aspects of life is the promise for God's people. The sure promise for his people. 
Strength and peace are the twin promises given to God's people in the midst of a storm. So, what can we as modern day Christians take from this ancient Jewish poetic hymn of defiant praise? Well, I want us to ask the question we asked in the beginning. What do we do in the midst of storms? Is our default worship or worry? You see, I think worshiping in the storm is an act of defiance. I think declarations of who God really is, reclaiming God's title of and power and authority, especially in the face of things that are not true about God, I think that's an act of defiance. And I believe God is pleased to receive worship due His name. See, there's lots of things in our lives, in the world around us, where we are tempted to believe the rule and reign of God is being threatened. Think about it. Where is the rule and reign of God seemingly being threatened? Let me ask you this way. What storm in our life, in your life, in our culture, on this planet, literally or figuratively, what storm is stronger or more powerful than God? Does He rule or does something else? Well, of course, the good church answer is, well, of course not. No, nothing. Nothing is stronger than God. Right? That is the good church answer. It also happens to be right. And yet, we are so often knocked off course, right? Our own weakness on display. Our hearts are disquieted and disrupted when the storms of life come crashing in on us. And this is where we're being invited. Not with fists in the air, how dare you, God, but with hands outstretched and open palms to say, God, you are good and glorious. So we stand in the pouring rain, singing things like this. Psalm, Psalm 8. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or we stand in the pouring rain with arms uplifted singing Psalm 73, that my heart and my flesh may fail. But you, O oh Lord, are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. Or we stand in the middle of this, the field, pouring rain, believing and singing John 16, that we know in this world we will have trouble. But my heart is, is secured because I know you have overcome the world. Right? And this is the gospel hope for us in Psalm 29. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all the promises of God, all of them find their yes, their answer in Him, in Jesus. Which means this. When Psalm 29 says that Yahweh will give strength to His people, if you are in Christ Jesus, that by faith, that's you. That promise is your promise. He will give strength to you. When Psalm 29 says that God will bless His people with peace, if you are in Christ Jesus, by faith, that's you. So as a parent, maybe you've experienced this. Last illustration, I promise. Kids are asleep. You're sitting in bed reading. The rain outside starts to pick up. There's some flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder. And as it gets closer, it gets louder. And it isn't long before there's a tiny person standing in your doorway. Usually it's a silhouette, kind of horror movie creepy, but they're there. Right? They're there. Or you hear them crying in the other room, or maybe they don't wait at the door. They come rushing in. Whatever the case, there they are. 
The storm has woken them from their sleep and they are now afraid. Now, we don't shame our children for their fear, right? They were startled awake, maybe more than us adults. They're keenly aware of their smallness in comparison and they feel fear. They feel fear. So they come to find mom or dad, right? Now, practically, I want to remind them, hey, God does indeed sit enthroned over the storm. There's nothing too big for him, right? We can pray together, thanking God for his power, asking for his protection, asking for him to calm our hearts. We can do that. And what we often do next is the kid who is unable to sleep in their own room slides in next to us. And within minutes is usually sound asleep while the storm rages. What's so fascinating about that is the storm doesn't usually stop in that five-minute window where they come into your bedroom. It's still going. And yet the kid who couldn't sleep in there is now soundly asleep here. How is this possible? Well, I think part of it is she is sure that she's safe. She is sure that she's not alone. She can sleep And sleep is an act of defiance of the storm that is still raging outside the window because she is unshaken. Right? This is what Psalm 29 is showing us. That the glorious and powerful Lord sits enthroned over the flood and over the storm. And it's because He is supremely powerful. Because He alone is majestic that we can praise Him in the midst of every storm. That we can have confidence That his strength is our strength. That he will always bring to fullness in us his promise of peace. In the midst of every storm, may we be a people who praise the Lord. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are indeed patient with us. That you help us in our weakness to not see our weakness in shame, but to see it as what it is as needy, and that you meet us in our need with your sufficient power and mercy. Father, we confess it is easy to get our eyes off of who you are and be fixated on the things around us, to be overwhelmed with worries and fears. Would you help us not to lose sight of your glory and your goodness? so that we might understand and work through these painful things as they exist, but not hopeless and not powerless. Would you quiet our hearts, not just from relieving us of the storm, but in comforting us in it? Because we are sure of your goodness and your power that we are safe in you. As we come to your table, would you be so kind, Holy Spirit, to root out unbelief that we might confess it and walk in forgiveness and newness of life and a fresh hope in all that you are and all that we are in you, Lord Jesus. Minister to your people by your Spirit as we come to the table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.